when you move to a new city, you start over. And you're excited to live in that new place, but there's a long list of things you have to start doing when you start over. And when our family moved here to Prescott almost seven years ago, we had to find all new people, new friends, uh, new people to celebrate certain events with, and all new doctors. And so when we moved here, I knew I needed to find a new dentist. And so about six months in, I got a referral. I went and sat down in a dentist's office. And it's not the, like, the easiest place to go to, the dentist. And so I was sitting there, and uh, two minutes in, it just, the, the wheels fell off. Uh, I sat down, and the dentist asked me. I already had the whole bib on. His hands were in my mouth. And he said, what do you do for a living? And I told him. And he said, well, I'm assuming, you're, assuming your wife stays home. I said, no, she's a full-time prosecutor. And told her about her job. And he goes, well, who raises your kids then? I said, I do. I'm doing a pretty good job. Thank you for asking. Um, and so it just, it, it kind of just went down from there. You know, I just felt, I mean, everybody has their own way of doing family. But I just felt so disrespected. And I was like, dude, you don't even know me. So I, I quickly made sure that I would never go to this dentist again. Well, turns out I waited two years to go to the dentist again. And for those of you who keep your good care of your teeth, you're judging me right now. I know. I waited way too long. And eventually I developed a sensitivity in a certain area of my mouth. Well, that sensitivity over time became painful. And, and if I had been smart, what I would have done when I had that toothache is I would have gone to the dentist. But I was like, that's going to hurt even more. So I just took a Tylenol and just kept blazing on with my day. And so I started managing my toothache with Tylenol. Well, eventually the Tylenol stopped working. And so I developed just this terrible toothache that became a headache. And so I did what you do when you're in a bad spot. I phoned a friend. So I called my good friend, Chris Inman, who shared last week. And I said, Chris, I know you have a dentist. He's like, you're, you're a good friend. Can you please help me? This is terrible. And so Chris got me in the next day to this dentist, and, and he was, he's like, Scott, this is, this is bad. He goes, if you'd come a few months ago, we could have saved this, but this is going to be a root canal. And for those of you who've had a root canal, it is a very vivid experience with sights, sounds, smells, tastes. I mean, it's a very vivid moment. Oh, wait, I didn't tell you. This was the day before Thanksgiving. So I felt like a little bit like an 18-month-old on Thanksgiving. I wanted my food all mashed up and soft. And I was like, this is like, the, this is like the Super Bowl for eating Thanksgiving. And so I got through that day. And you would have thought that I learned my lesson. Like, go to the dentist every six months. Well, my follow-up from that was scheduled for six months later, April of 2020. So that got canceled. And what does Scott do who doesn't go to the dentist? I put it off. And I didn't go back to the dentist again for two more years. And I went to the dentist finally because I was having a toothache. And my, my lovely dentist, he said, Scott, I need to introduce you to one of my patients. She's tall. She's beautiful. She's a successful professional. Um, she, uh, she, she brushes every day. She flosses every day. She comes to see me every six months. I said, Doc, are you describing my wife? He said, yes, I am. <laughs> I was like, I know, she is great at this and I am terrible. And he's like, Scott, if you'd been here just one month ago, I could have done a cavity, done a filling. I said, is this another root canal, Doc? He's like, yeah, Scott, this is another root canal. So lesson from the sermon today, go to the dentist. I tell that story because over the last few weeks, I've heard from some of you that this series feels a little bit like that. 
it's painful. The things we're talking about are challenging. And you're like, Scott, this is hard. And I tell that story because I'm the kind of person who avoids hard things at times. I'm the kind of person that puts them off. But, but when I, that happens, what, what, it, what it is is that, that I'm avoiding facing reality because I think it's going to be less painful. And we all have stuff like this. I mean, you may be the person who's at the dentist every six months, and you're like, Scott, you need to come learn from me. But I guarantee it's some other area in your life. You tend to be the person who ignores reality. You hear a sound going bump in the car engine. You're like, okay, it'll get better. It won't. Or you know what? There's this issue in our relationship. And we're, it's like the elephant in the room. And it keeps getting bigger. And we don't talk about it because you're thinking it'll be less painful. But that's really fear talking to you. The truth is it'll actually be less painful now than it will be later. You'll have more options now than you'll have later And I promise you, from having paid the bills on those root canals, it'll be less expensive now than it will be later. And I say that because as we're walking through this series called Leaving Egypt, and we're talking about finding freedom, I think that the idea is that freedom is not costly. That freedom is easy. But what I've found is that freedom is neither one of those things. It's it's costly, and sometimes... It's difficult. And we've been using this metaphor of Egypt over the last few months. And we've said Egypt is the place or the thing in our life which represents forgetting who we truly are or what we were made to do. Egypt is settling for far less than God's best for us. Egypt is substituting something other than God for security and salvation. And I've heard from so many of you, even just in the last week, that you're like, Scott, I think I finally found out what my Egypt is. So that you can then know what it means to leave that. And so if you're here for the first time today and you're like, Scott, what have you been talking about for the last month? I'd encourage you to go online and get caught up in the series. We've had so many people share this message with friends and family, so we're excited about that. But today what we're going to talk about is, I think, the surprising part of the journey to leaving Egypt. It's the part that I think we don't often talk about, but we all experience. And it's wilderness. And here's the big idea for today. God uses wilderness to draw us closer to him and to transform us to be more like him. God uses our experience when we end up in the wilderness to draw us closer to him and to transform us to be more like him. Now, as we begin talking about wilderness today, we have to talk about this word expectations. Expectations is where all of the problems of life happen. They're where all the problems of life happen with your family around holidays. They're largely where all the problems happen in your marriage or with your significant other, the person you're dating. It's where things get hard with your kids or your boss. Expectations are essential. And so to talk about expectations today, I've got some friends that are going to come out on stage. Right now. Give them a round of applause. So, uh, so I have Josh and uh, Josh out here today. So, uh, so say hi to Josh this morning. So, uh, so I have Josh past, I have Josh present, and I have Josh future here. So Josh is going to kind of stand in for the people of Israelites and for us. 
You see, Josh started out in Egypt, then eventually he experienced freedom, and he's excited about headed to the promised land. That's kind of the story, right, for the Israelites. It's Egypt, it's freedom, it's promised land. That's our expectation, and that, that may be for you. You're like, Scott, I figured out what my Egypt is. I want to be free, and then eventually I'm going to get to the promised land. Here's the problem. This is not how the journey goes. The journey doesn't go Egypt, freedom, promised land. It actually goes, Josh flipped that. It goes Egypt, wilderness, promised land. And this is where a lot of us get stuck. Is we have improper expectations. Wilderness, if you look at the slide here, is a kind of liminal space between what you know and what's next. Wilderness is that gap between I knew how to live here and how to function here, and I really would like to get here. This is the fun stuff. This is the good stuff I'm looking forward to. But in the middle, there's this in-between. There's this discomfort zone. Uh, People call it liminal space. It's not where you once were, and it's not where you want to be. It's the in-between. And here's the challenge. Freedom often initially looks like wilderness because it's uncomfortable it's unknown there's all sorts of wild and crazy things that happen there and it's the space in between where we were and where we want to be we had these uh josh heads lying around the office today abby thank you for saving those they came in super handy today give them a round of applause for helping us today So what I want to do today is I want to help you set better expectations and navigate your way through the wilderness. Because if you're not in the wilderness today, I think you have been there in the past or you may be headed there in the future. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you about four things that I've learned from Scripture and my own wilderness adventures. Because I've spent a lot of time in that liminal space between what I once knew And where God was taking me. It was the difference between the job that I had and then the new job that I started. It was the relationship that I had until we started working on things because we needed to work on them because we wanted to have a different kind of relationship in the future. It was, hey, it was the way I was managing all this stuff until I got honest about how unhealthy and dysfunctional things were. And it was the gap between that and really being healthy. And so I've got some experiences that I'm hoping to save you some some time and some heartache uh, with sharing from. So this morning, if you'd open your Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Exodus again. Chapter 13. We've been hanging out a lot in Exodus on the road to Easter today. And again, just a reminder, we're two weeks out from Easter. And what we've been talking about in this series is going to connect to what we cover next Sunday and then on Good Friday and into Easter. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, and Exodus 13, 17 through 18. This is what it says. It says, When the Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around towards the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. 
Here's the first thing I want you to know about navigating wilderness. God shows his people incredible kindness in the wilderness. Now, we don't often associate the words kindness and wilderness together, though they do end the same way. We often think about the wilderness as unkind and harsh. But what we see in Exodus 13 is that God sent the Israelites the way he did out of kindness. I brought a map with me today. So the people were in captivity in this area of Ramses in Egypt. And and there's a couple different theories about which part of the Red Sea they crossed. But they crossed somewhere in here. And the fastest way was called the King's Highway. And it basically follows this blue line I drew right here. And they could have gone to the promised land up here, the short route up to Gaza in this area where the Philistines were. But the text says that the Philistines were professional war makers. They were big. If you're like, where do I know the name Philistine from? That's Goliath. He's the Philistine. He's the giant Philistine. And if they'd gone this route, it would have been faster. But the people have been in captivity for hundreds of years and they've never been to war. They're not prepared for this. And so God knows that if they go the short route, that they may turn back because it's too hard. So what he does, instead of taking them the short way, he takes them the long way. So much so that by the time they reach Kadesh Barnea, which is where Chris talked about last week, it's been well over a year and they've had a chance to develop and grow. See, God shows kindness both in how much he allows in our lives and how far he stretches us. So what God's doing is he's being kind to them, saying, I know their capacity, I know what they can handle, and so I'm going to bring them along at a certain pace. I'm going to bring them along and develop them, even if it means they're going the scenic route to the promised land. Now, some of you when, you, when you hear this, you're like, Scott, that sounds a little bit like, you know, God won't give them more than they can handle. And I will just tell you this, you'll find that phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, on Facebook, but you won't find it in the Bible. It's not there. Because what God is doing is he's going to continually stretch these people beyond what they think they can handle so that they will lean on him and rely on him. And God knows something about them that I know about you. This is an interactive part of the message. If you, would you raise your hand for me right now? Just raise your hand, everybody in the room. Okay, now raise it higher. Okay, you can put your hand down. How did I know you could all raise your hand higher? Well, two things. I did the same illustration three years ago, and you all raised your hand higher back then. But two, we all have a tendency to not initially go to our full capacity. We all have a tendency to stop. It's the reason why when you go work out with a friend or go for a run with a friend that you will go harder or go farther with them than you will on your own. Because it takes other people to bring out the maximum in us. That's why you hire a trainer or you hire a coach. That's why even professional athletes who are at the top of their game hire so many coaches because they want to bring out their maximum potential. And God is going to do the same thing. And so what we think is our capacity, God knows is not our capacity. And yet at the same time, he is going to be kind to bring us along and develop us in that capacity. God has been and is being right now kind to you. 
But a lot of you don't feel that way. You're like, if God was being kind to me, then he would, and you fill in the blank. But God's posture towards us is kindness. And so often it takes us years and decades beyond a moment to see it. Paul got this, though. In Romans 2, 4, he said this. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint and his patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? We often think about God's judgment and God's anger and God's wrath when it comes to repentance. But it's God's kindness that actually brings us to repentance. It's his patience with us. It's the restraint he shows us. It's the kindness that he shows us that breaks down that resistance. Have you ever marveled at just how kind God has been to you, even in the wilderness? It could have been worse. Things could have been harsher. That he could have been less patient. I want you to start associating the word wilderness and kindness together. Because our enemy is going to lie to you and tell you that God is not being kind and he's abandoned you in the wilderness. And here's what I want to tell you today. Don't believe the lie that adversity or wilderness means God has abandoned you. He hasn't abandoned you. He is right there with you in the wilderness and he is being exceedingly kind to you as you walk through it. It's the first thing I want you to see. If your Bible's still open, go a couple chapters deeper to the book of Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, when this is what we read, the entire Israelite community departed from Elam and they came to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they'd left the land of Egypt. So again, they've been 45 days in freedom at this point. Six weeks, basically, from when we started this series to Easter. Not a long time. It says, Then the entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt... When we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us out into the wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. The second thing we we see in the wilderness is that God's people have to deal with their hungers and their fears in the wilderness. When you end up in the wilderness in that gap between Josh past and, and Josh future... That space that you didn't expect and didn't plan for, all sorts of hungers and fears begin to come out. And for the people, they expected to go from Egypt to the promised land, to go from land where they apparently had pots of meat and bread, to land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't plan to go through a land that was barren. They didn't expect to be hungry after Egypt. And, and I don't know about you, but some of us, like, we, we get a little bit crazy when we get hungry. Some of you like like that Snickers commercial. You're a different person when you're hungry. I know for my wife, there's a certain point where she goes from hungry to hangry. And if there is not food in that point, like all bets are off. Like it's just like, and some of you are like that. 
But all of us are like that in that we have hungers and desires and we have fears that come out when we end up in the wilderness. Because wilderness makes us hungry. It allows our hungers to get louder and louder as the world gets quieter and quieter. Some of you have experienced this. You're in the middle of a fast for Lent. You've given up something. And the purpose of fasting, whether it's during Lent or otherwise, is to give up something, some hunger, some need, and to invite God to satisfy that need. To look to him rather than that thing instead. And sometimes what happens is we don't know just how much we're being driven by our hungers and desires until we no longer have those things. When I was in college, I, I met a, a brilliant professor who became a friend. His name was Maxie Birch. We named our youngest son Max after him. And Maxie was uh, unjustly and illegally fired from our school, wrongful termination, though he had tenure. And so he and some other p- professors who were wrongfully terminated sued the school. They ended up settling out of court. But it, it basically put a wrench in Maxie's career path. And so he was going a direction, and then he ended up in the wilderness, where he wasn't, wasn't planning on being, where he wasn't planning on going. And during that season, we ended up working together as, at a church, and at that season, we were teaching together, and we taught about desert, which is a pretty similar metaphor to wilderness. Some of the things I'm sharing with you, we started talking about 15 years ago. And in one of those messages, this is what Maxie said as he was living through his own wilderness. He said, desert seasons are God's timely answer to our prayer for intimacy and transformation. But in our experience, the desert may seem anything but an answer to prayer. Did you know that the wilderness that you're in could be the very answer to the prayer that you've been praying? You said, I want to be closer to God. God, I want to feel your presence. And he's answering it. Right here. With wilderness. Oh, you just wanted that prayer wrapped differently. You wanted it to occur somewhere differently. You wanted intimacy with God, but you didn't want it in the wilderness. See, part of the struggle of wilderness is that wilderness invites us to face our fears. Our fears that maybe God isn't enough. Maybe... God isn't going to show up the way that you thought. Maybe things aren't going to work out the way that you had planned. See, the word wilderness starts with four letters. W-I-L-D. Wild. It's a wild place in the wilderness. For us and for everyone else. Jesus himself was pushed into the wilderness. And here's what happened to him. Mark 1 says immediately, this is after his baptism... The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were serving him. There's wild animals in his wilderness and our wilderness. There's a spiritual enemy. There's danger. There's challenge, and when you end up there, you've got to rumble with all of your hungers and all of your fears. That's why for some of us, it's a scary place to be. But it's also a place where God does his great work, 
transforming us and bringing us closer to him. In the book of Deuteronomy, this is what Moses says was the reason for wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses says this, Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you'd keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. And then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not owned, had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The third thing we learn in the wilderness is that God invites us to humility as we walk in the wilderness. We may not be humble people when we're in Egypt, but if we're going to move from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land, we're going to have to learn humility. And part of the way that God does that, as Moses indicates here in Deuteronomy 8, is that the wilderness is not comfortable. It's not nearly as comfortable as you are right now. Perfect air conditioning, plush red seats, cup holder, Wi-Fi, free coffee. The wilderness is not like this. And that's why sometimes we choose environments that are at odds with what God wants to do. Because how often do we grow when we're comfortable? Not nearly as often as when we're uncomfortable. See, the wilderness was God's way of ensuring that humility replaced pride and dependence on God replaced dependence on self. God knew that it was going to take some time for them to go from Egypt to the promised land. And during that wilderness, he needed to humble them. He needed to change them. He needed them to move from pride to humility, from depending on themselves to depending on God. And here's one little caveat I got to put in there. I put, I put some stars right here because there's a little sub point I got to make. God led them into the wilderness, but they sinned and stayed longer in the wilderness. How long was the original wilderness plan? A year to two years. How long was the total wilderness experience? 40 years. God is going to use wilderness and very may well lead you into wilderness. You may stay longer in wilderness, though, because of you, not because of God. How many of you have had what I've experienced? A lesson that took way longer to learn than it should have learned. I should have learned from my 2019 root canal. I had to have my 2021 root canal to actually learn the lesson. And what do we say, though? If we're in wilderness, what do we say? The wilderness is the worst. Get me out of here. Make this stop as fast as it can. Well, if the purpose of wilderness is to draw you closer to God and transform you, then is it possible that you're trying to get out of something that God is using? And wouldn't it be worse if you got out of the wilderness, but you didn't get out of the wilderness what you needed? Let me give you an illustration of this. There's a lot of great movies that have been made, but one of the best movies that was made was The Empire Strikes Back. 
If you've seen The Empire Strikes Back, you know that after that beautiful battle on the ice planet of Hoth, Luke leaves his friends behind and he goes to Dagobah and he finds Yoda. And he begins to be trained to be the Jedi master he was made to be. Dagobah is a little bit of Luke's wilderness. But Yoda is a hard master. He's hard to understand when he talks and he's brutal in his training. And at a certain point in the movie, Luke has a vision of his friends. They're in a cloud city. And they're up against his arch enemy, Darth Vader. And he sees this vision of what might happen to them. And so what happens is Luke is tempted to shortcut his way out of the wilderness. He's tempted to leave Dagobah, to leave the wilderness, and go and search for his friends and find his friends and protect them. And what does Yoda say? He says, don't leave. He says, you're not ready. You're not prepared with your training. You're not, you're not set up yet to fight Vader. But if you've seen the greatest story ever told, outside of the Bible, Star Wars, Luke goes and he fights Vader. And what happens? Yoda's right. He loses his right hand. He discovers that Vader's his father. Sorry if you missed that. It's been 40 years. You should know by now. 45 years is the expiration date on spoiler alert. Sorry. (laughs) And what happens is that they would have escaped without Luke. They would have lived without Luke. But Luke's the one hanging on the bottom of the city that he has to be rescued. The rescuer has to become rescued. And at the end of the day, what was Luke's problem? Luke was afraid of what embracing the wilderness might mean for others. Some of you, this is where you're stuck. You're afraid if I keep staying in the wilderness, what about this person? Or this person who's in the wilderness, what will happen if I don't go rescue them? Parents, some of you have kids in the wilderness right now. And you have to decide, am I going to trust God to care for them like he's caring for me? Some of us, we want to protect other people from the very thing that changed us. I mean, how many of you, you have wilderness stories that are instrumental in you becoming who you are today? And yet as a parent, you try to protect your kids from the very things that made you who you are today. Wilderness for you, but not for them. You don't really trust God to care for them the way he cared for you because you're trying to pull them out of the wilderness. And I just would encourage you, don't try to escape what God has worked hard to orchestrate. Don't try to run from the very thing God has set up because God doesn't waste wilderness. The last thing I want to say about wilderness is this. We are not alone in the wilderness. We are not alone. It's what we think. It's what we fear. It's what we often believe. But we are not alone in the wilderness. And actually, according to Scripture, The wilderness is normal. This is not some like graduate level Christianity. This isn't the PhD level of following Jesus. This is normal. Let me give you a like rapid fire set of examples. Abraham and Sarah, Genesis 12. Go to the land I will show you. Okay, God, where is that land? Just start walking. 
through the wilderness. Joseph, great life, favorite son, beautiful coat, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, wrongfully accused of a crime he didn't commit, thrown into prison, forgotten in prison. Seems like wilderness to me. Moses, he spent 40 years in the wilderness after he kills an Egyptian in Midian before he even gets to the burning bush. That's 40 to 80 of his life. Then he gets 40 more years in the wilderness, leading these knuckleheads in Exodus through Deuteronomy to the promised land. King David, when he goes to fight that Philistine Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, he says, I've been in the wilderness fighting bears and lions. I can handle this guy. He gets named king, but then King Saul wants to kill him. So in 1 Samuel 23, he's running through the wilderness. Elijah in 1 Kings 18 calls down fire from heaven, and the fire literally falls. But within one chapter, he's running into the wilderness, and he says, God, take me now. I'm done. He was hungry. He needed two naps, and he was in the wilderness. I just showed you Jesus right after his baptism ended up there, and Paul After his conversion in Galatians 1, he leaves Damascus, he goes to Arabia, he's there for three years before coming back. This is just a small list of the people in Scripture who went through the wilderness. If you are in the wilderness, you are not abnormal, you are normal. And you may feel like you're the only one, but you're far from alone. The wilderness is normal. It's a normal part of following Jesus. The enemy makes you think that you're the weird one, that you're isolated. But the wilderness is a sign that God takes you seriously, that he heard your prayer for intimacy, that he wants to transform you, and this is how it happens. And it's also a sign that wilderness is about something bigger than you. I mentioned Moses. Moses spends his first 40 years growing up in Egypt, in the palace, as a child of the adopted child of the Pharaoh. Then he kills an Egyptian, defending his own people. He goes to the wilderness for 40 years in Midian. Then he sees the burning bush, and then God calls him to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses spent 40 years in his own wilderness before leading the people through 40 years in their own wilderness. And here's my question for you if you're in wilderness today. What if God is preparing you in the wilderness today to serve someone else in the future? What if this is about something bigger than you? I mentioned that I started thinking about this 15 years ago. This sermon is 15 years in the making. And let me tell you that there were things that happened between 2008 and today that I wouldn't ever want to go through again. But because of what I went through in the wilderness, I'm positioned to help and serve people that I wouldn't have been if I'd not been through it. Rory Vaden says, you're most powerfully positioned to help the person you once were. And that's why some of us need to start. I know this is going to sound crazy. It sounds crazy to even think about. I'm just going to say it. Some of us need to start thanking God for the wilderness. Because the wilderness is the thing God is giving you to prepare you and help you to serve others. 
See, God uses wilderness to draw us closer to him and to transform us to be more like him. So how does that happen? Let me give you some next steps this morning. If you're new here, these are on the back. And I will just remind you, these are not do all four. I'm giving you four, hoping to hit a variety of people. So I'm hoping one of these lands for you. First, share about your wilderness experience with a trusted friend. Here's what I know. The majority of you in this room right now are either in wilderness or have recently been in wilderness. But we have a tendency to hide the wilderness we're in from others. How can somebody support you, walk with you, help you, encourage you when they don't even know what you're in the middle of? How can they come along and be community and love you when they don't even know what you're going through? So I'm not saying that you right now post a long caption on Facebook about your wilderness. That is the worst place to put it. Because lots of those people are not, they may be your friends on Facebook. They're not your friends in real life. And they're not trusted friends. So share about it with a trusted friend so they can actually walk with you. Two, schedule silence, solitude, and stillness daily if necessary. When we're in the wilderness, it gets really quiet. And what do we do when things get quiet? We get scared. So what do we do? We fill our life with noise. We fill our life with activity. God is not going to overshout your loud life. If you read in scripture, God is not a shouting God. He's a whispering God. And so while you're in wilderness, beware of filling your life with things that make it too loud. Schedule these three S's. Third, practice lamenting. Practice lamenting. You say, Scott, what's a lament? I'm glad you asked. Here's the definition. Lamenting is a prayer to God expressing sorrow, pain, or confusion with God. A lot of us are mad at God, but we don't tell God. We tell other people. We basically gossip about God. Gossip is talking about people as opposed to talking to people. And just so you know, gossip doesn't fix anything. It makes things worse. Talking to someone is what gives a chance for it to be fixed. Lamenting is saying, I'm sorrowful, I'm pain, I'm confused, I'm angry, and I'm going to tell God that. You're like, am I allowed to do that? Yeah, read Psalms. There's lots of examples of that in Scripture. Lamenting is, I'm going to pour that out to God. And I'm going to allow that to build intimacy with Him. Because here's the crazy thing. Hard conversations build intimacy with people and with God. Practice lamenting. And then finally, Get curious about your wilderness. What I've discovered is that when I am cynical, when I am angry, when I'm bitter, I'm closed off. I can't learn. I'm just mad. Curiosity is what opens me up. And here's the question I want to leave you with today. What if you stopped demanding, God, get me out of here, and instead started asking, God, what do you want me to get out of here? God, get me out of here is cynicism, it's anger, it's bitterness. Curiosity is, 
God, what do you want me to get out of here? If this has hit a nerve for you, I'd encourage you. Days before COVID started, we went through a three-week series called In the Wilderness that I went back to. Yes, I do preach to myself in my AirPods sometimes. And so if you want to dig into that series, the link at the bottom of your handout at this slide will give you a link to that. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for wilderness. It's not easy. It's not absent of pain. It's not something that we would ever long to go through. But God, you surely don't waste it. You use it to transform us. You use it to draw us closer to you. You use it to prepare us for things in our future that we can't imagine. And you work in our wilderness the same way you did with the Israelites to help us be the kind of people who are ready to step into what you have for us. So I pray for my friends who are in the wilderness today. I pray that they would know that they are not alone, that they are not abnormal, but they are right in the middle of you working in their lives. That you are closer to them than they can imagine. And that you're moving in a way that they will look back on one day and marvel at. Oh man, how kind God was to me. Oh, how near God was to me. I pray that we would reject the voice of our enemy which says that we have to run from you and run from others in the wilderness. I pray that we would hear your voice drawing us closer to you, closer to intimacy with you, and that while we're in the wilderness, we would run to you and become open to you in ways we never have before. Don't waste our wilderness, Lord. Use it to make us the people you want us to be. In your name we pray, amen.